There is nothing more foundational for a follower of Christ than the greatest commandment. Jesus clearly stated to those who were curious that loving God and loving others were foundational to the life as a believer. We as believers can love God through worship, the studying of His Word, and our walk with Christ. We can love others through seeing, serving, and sharing with them. So let us build on the firm foundation of Christ as we love God, love others, and advance His kingdom. Good morning. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. It's good to see you guys today. Uh, I'm excited about being here as your pastor on our first Sunday. On behalf of Laura and I, we want to say thank you so much for the privilege of uh, entrusting us with being in this role and being here. I do want to begin by saying uh, a few things before we jump into the message. I won't do this every week, I promise, but I want to say thank you to a few people. I also want to say to the OBU students that are here, maybe some of you are visiting for the first time. We're really glad you're here. There's a, lo- there's a number of you that I recognize and know because I was your student pastor at one time or another. And so I'm thankful that you're here with us uh, and, and worshiping with us. I want to say on behalf of, uh, of my family that I'm excited about joining the stream of what God's been doing in the history of, I- of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Long before this day, God's been at work. And he's been at work here in remarkable ways all the way from campus downtown to out here and to all the things that have happened uh, in in the course and the life of this church. I'm extremely grateful for Dr. Todd Fisher and his long-tenured ministry here and what he brought and how the Lord used him as he guided and shepherded you all for many, many years. I'm really thankful for the current staff that we currently have uh, here at IBC. Uh, I think uh, they are some of the best people They're excellent ministers, and there are two people in particular I would like you to show your appreciation to, and Scott Schooler and Aaron Fulbright for filling the pulpit every single week, faithfully preaching God's word um, with that. I'm going to get to know them really well as tomorrow we leave for staff retreat, and so I'll get to immerse myself with them and get to know them really quickly. So I'm looking forward to spending that time with them. But then I'm also thankful to you all the people who make up Emmanuel Baptist Church. Thanks for your engagement in worship and Sunday school and small groups and discipleship and service and missions, uh, especially in this interim time. Thanks for your faithful giving and how you've continued to support the ministries of what IBC's doing. And listen, it's been a great start to the school year. I've, I've had a little bit of FOMO being separated and making the transition of what God's been doing here at the beginning of this school year uh, in every ministry area, and I'm excited about the days ahead. It's a new chapter for you all. It's a new chapter for us, and I believe the Lord has great days before us. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to thank God for what he's done and ask God to do what only he can do in the future, and then we'll open up God's word together. Father, we thank you so much for how you've been at work in Emmanuel Baptist Church long before today, how you used individuals that you called into a saving relationship and you used them to build a church in this place, how you used them to advance the gospel and shine in the surrounding areas and in the state and in this nation and to the ends of the earth, 
how you've used individuals to push back darkness and to meet the needs of individuals. And Father, we thank you for the incredible staff that's here and the work that they've done, particularly in the interim time of keeping things moving, how they faithfully preached your word, how they tended to the needs of the members. And Father, we thank you for how you've brought life change, that even in the last few weeks, there's been students who've made a commitment to move from death to life by trusting you with their life. How you've been at work on the college campus as schools begun and started. And Father, we look forward to what you're going to do in the future. And God, we ask that you would go before us and that our eyes would only be fixed upon you and nothing else. That we would be obedient to how you lead us as a church. And that Father, that as we walk faithfully with you, that there would be more and more people reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That more and more lives will be changed and transformed. And that you will receive glory and honor from every single thing that takes place. Father, I think about the scripture, not to us, not to us, but to you, O Lord, and I pray that'll be the theme of our lives every single day. Be with us now as we open up your word, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So if you got your Bibles here in Romans chapter 12 today, this sermon series foundations is, is that. It's foundational. We're going to talk about uh, some key things of our Christian faith. I prayed and asked that when God gave me the message to preach in view of a call a few weeks ago that I'd be able to take that and turn that in to the first sermon series if he was to call me here to preach. And so he did. And so we started with this. We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about how we love God in worship, through his word, and in our walk. And then we're going to spend the back half of this series talking about how we love others by seeing them, serving them, and sharing with them. Basic tenets of the faith. There's going to be no groundbreaking news that's shared here. We're going to look at scripture, particular passages that you're going to be familiar with, and we're going to be reminded about our faithful obedience as God's children. That's where we are. As I was studying for this, um, I was reminded of a story of a young lady who approached a Scottish pastor and, and she, was, she had a problem. The problem was her desires contradicted God's will. And she needed to know how to kind of resolve this. So the Scottish pastor took out a piece of paper and he wrote two words. The first word was no, N-O, and the second word was Lord. And he handed it back to her and said, you take 10 minutes and think about this and then mark one of those words out and bring it back to me. So as soon as she opened it up, she saw those words. She began to contemplate and she quickly realized that if I say no, I can't say Lord. And if I say Lord, I can't say no. And I... I share that this morning with you because of the passage of scripture that we're going to read in Romans 12, 1 and 2 because of this. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and he calls you into salvation and you say yes, you turn over all of your rights to him. And to be a living sacrifice is, to be, is another way of saying yes, Lord. You don't get to say no and trust in Jesus. When you say yes to him, you say yes to your whole life. And that's where we are this morning. Let's read those two verses 
familiar passage. Some would even argue that these words are the most important verses in all of scripture because they contain so much theological truth in such few words. In fact, when I typed out the whole manuscript of this message, I was at like 48 minutes. And I thought to myself, you don't want to listen to 48 minutes of this because there's such good truth in this. I've narrowed it down to hopefully 30, so hopefully we'll make that work. I thought you guys might laugh at that a little bit. Man, you guys are making me work up here. But here's what we know about this. These two words can bring nourishment to your spiritual life if you will hear them and practice them. If you will turn your learning into living by by following the instructions that Paul gives here. So let's read them together. Verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul gives two instructions, and I summarize them in this. So point one will be that we practice spiritual worship as believers. Point two is is that we practice renewing our mind as believers. And so let's talk about them. Let me emphasize here what's happening in the context of Romans since we're jumping right into this letter. Paul has spent the first 11 chapters kind of giving us um, indicatives of what Christ has done, okay? He's made all these statements about this is who Christ is and this is what he's done for you. And then in chapter 12, he changes the tone and begins to give imperatives about this is how you live your life in light of what I've just explained in the previous 11 chapters. And so this is why Paul states, I appeal to you therefore, the therefore pointing back to the previous 11 chapters and what's happened and the word appeal being this, he's not asking you for a favor. He's not telling his audience, hey, if you can do me a favor and kind of give your attention to the Lord, let's do that. He's appealing to them because of the obligation they have that this is what Christ has done for you and this is what you do in response to that. And so that's what we see happening here. The word mercy is a key theme throughout the previous 11 chapters. In fact, it was used some 10 times. And so when Paul tells them, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, which I can give you one other nugget of information. Sorry, I get a little sidetracked. All throughout the beginning of Romans in the first 11 chapters, he talks about Jews and Gentiles, and he's, he's very aware of the tensions that exist between them. And then all of a sudden in chapter 12, he refers to them as brothers, meaning this, All of those under the lordship of Jesus Christ are a family. There's no more distinctions. And so when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, he's speaking to everybody by the mercies of God. The mercy of God is mentioned, like I said, 11 times or 10 times in this chapter. And he just concluded it. If you look at verse 32 of chapter 11, he says, for God has consigned to all disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Now, why would I share that with you? Because I want to share this. This is what Paul was explaining in these first 11 chapters is this, that the only thing that can save an individual who is dead in their sin is the mercy of God. There is nothing that you and I can do, even in our best efforts, that can save us, only the mercy of God. Our whole faith is built upon the promise that God extended mercy to us by forgiving of us of our sin and by us believing in him, he justifies us and makes us right before him. 
there'll be a quote that comes on the screen here from one of the commentaries, and it says this, that mercy is a compassion-based response of God to the plight of humans that causes him to forego what they deserved, punishment for sin, and give them what they do not deserve, forgiveness. I'll say this this morning, church, there is no greater incentive to living a life of worship than the mercy of God. There is no greater incentive to living a life of worship than the mercy of God. Why do you come into this room on a Sunday morning? Why do you get up in the morning and read your Bible and spend time with God? Hopefully the motivation and the incentive is because you want to respond to God's mercy that he's shown you in your own life. I don't know about you, but at times I've been obedient out of fear, right? My dad and mom are here this morning, and uh, there were times in my life I was obedient to what they said because I was just fearful of what might happen if I wasn't obedient, right? And, you know, hey, sometimes that's good. But in the Christian life, fear-based obedience runs out of steam pretty quickly. So if you're, if you're fearful of what God might do to you or what he might withhold from you if you don't do these things, and that's your motivation, then guess what's going to happen? Your motiv- it, the motivation is going to lose its power over time, and you'll give way to the, to the patterns of this world. You're going to struggle with repentance because you're not, you're not acting out of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're acting out of fear, and so repentance is going to be a difficult thing for you. And also, fear-based obedience is going to make it really difficult for you to endure suffering. And so I say this for us, and I'll emphasize this, that the only sufficient motivation for obedience in the Christian life is mercy and grace. Fear isn't it, mercy, God's mercy and grace, that's it. In fact, Isaac Watts wrote these famous words, which you've sang multiple times, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all, right? And this is what he's asking. So when Paul says, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Paul's using temple language here. It's a picture of a worshiper showing up with sacrifice and is going to present it, right? He's going to lay it down. And a living sacrifice to present, or sorry, to present your body is a reasonable response to the, mercy, to the mercy of God. And the body's not talking about skin and bones. It's talking about thoughts and desires and plans and physical attributes, the totality of the person. And so what happens is, is before Christ, how did you use your body? We'll summarize it in these two ways. You used your body for sinful pleasures and purposes because you were born a sinful person. But when you surrendered your life to Jesus and he transforms you from the inside out, your body is to be given in its whole self, its totality, to the purpose for the glory of God as a living sacrifice. And this living sacrifice is not necessarily talking about the old way of sacrifice where those animals actually died, right? This is a living sacrifice, meaning this. You as a believer have breath in your lungs and you are to continually offer yourself every single day as a living sacrifice to God. And sacrifice speaks about the offering when it's totally consumed, that we are to be about continually renewing our position as fully obedient to the Lord. This sacrifice isn't to be offered on Sunday mornings at 945. This sacrifice is to be offered when you're at your house 
or in your dorm room, or when you're out at a restaurant or you're watching a kid's activity, or you're talking to your neighbor across the street, this idea of a living sacrifice is when this is played out in your everyday life. It's not just something that happens on Sunday mornings or a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night Bible study. It's what happens every single day of your life. To be a living sacrifice means you have to be actively willing to obey God in anything he says in any area of your life. There are two examples out of scripture that I'll use as the illustration. One is Isaac. You know, Abraham was told, you take Isaac up to the mountain. When you walk up to the mountain, you're going to put Isaac on the altar. Listen, Isaac was old enough, he understood what was happening. I try to think about taking Riker or Keegan in this kind of situation and trying to put them on the altar. Listen, they would not be, they would not be willing to work with me. But Isaac laid himself on the altar, trusting both God and his father, and, in the, and when God sent the ram in his place, this is what happened. Isaac died just the same. He died to self, and he surrendered himself to the will of God. Jesus is the other example, the perfect illustration of a living sacrifice. He actually died as a sacrificial lamb in your place, and obedient to the Father's will. And he rose again, which makes him living today. And now he sits at the right hand of God as our Savior, High Priest, and Advocate. Because in order to love God in our worship, we're going to have to offer all of him. Isaac did it. Jesus did it. Are you doing it? John Stott said this, we are to offer the different parts of our bodies not to sin but to God. Listen to how he broke these down. Then our feet will walk in his paths. Our lips will speak truth and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who have fallen and perform many mundane tasks like cooking and cleaning and typing and mending. Our, heart, our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed, and our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. Listen, our daily Christian life is about giving our life and our bodies in obedience to God and what he wants us to accomplish. And we're to do this as holy and acceptable, holy being set apart, Holy here describes the quality of life that we're pursuing, and acceptable describes the results. The gospel motivates us to live a life of worship and frees us to live a life that pleases God. I was not a baseball player growing up. Well, I was until like, I don't know, maybe sixth grade or something like that, and they stuck me on the pitching mound and made me pitch, and I got terrible arm strength, and so every pitch I threw, they hit a home run. It was a horrible experience, which has nothing to do with this sermon. It just lets you know something about me. But I think about a father who teaches his son a batting stance. And listen, the father loves his son, and, and his son has acceptance with his father, but he teaches him this batting stance. And then if the son goes to the baseball game and forgets the batting stance, it doesn't change that his father's love for him because he forgot the batting stance. His father has accepted him, has loved him, and has cared for him. But the son still wants to hit a home run. Why? Not so he can receive his father's love, but out of motivation of his father's love for him. And this is what Jesus is doing with us. He loves us already. He's accepted us where we were. He found you where you were on the day of your salvation and brought you in just as you were. 
loving you, accepting you, and fully embracing you for who you are. And what he wants to do now is he wants you to give out of response of that, out of obligation to his love for you, to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This morning, you probably got out of bed. Some of you may, this may have happened, may not have happened, but most of you got out of bed, and at some point in the process of getting ready, you looked into the mirror, and you probably saw a reflection of yourself. But what if every day you woke up and stood in front of that mirror and saw you standing at the foot of Jesus Christ as he died upon the cross for your sins? How would it change how you would live your life that day? Because when we think about that every single day, the mercy of God, that he took our place, the punishment that we deserved, when we think about his mercy, then I hope that I'll live as a living sacrifice. Why? Because it's a spiritual act of worship. To present yourselves in response to God's mercy as a living sacrifice is a spiritual response. Paul, in in verse 1, said it is your spiritual worship. Worship here is referring to any act done for God. The root of worship is to serve. Paul tells his readers to be a sacrifice. Listen, God's worthy of our singing. God's worthy of us gathering together in worship. But more importantly than all of that, God is worthy of your whole life being given to him in full, in its fullness. So therefore, in spiritual here, let me say this refers to reasonable. Some of your King James King, sorry, King James Version might translate it your reasonable service. And so I think it's important to understand this, that to worship God is the only reasonable way to respond to his mercy. To worship God is the only reasonable way to respond to his mercy because spiritual worship is best understood as worship that is motivated by and ordered in a reasonable way on a careful understanding of the gospel. When you understand the gospel, then your, wor- the, your worship is motivated by that, and then it's organized in a reasonable way, right? And so what happens is, is we, this begins to take place in our life as believers, and we begin to respond in the way that God wants us to, which is as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Because worship is always accompanied by sacrifice. To follow Jesus means you have to give up something. You have to. Jesus is not in the business of letting you do whatever you want to do and then you can give him your leftovers. You have to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus. He wants all of you to sacrifice sacrifice yourself. Listen, sin problem stems from worship problems. Some of you may be in this room and you're a little bit selfish and independent this morning because you haven't surrendered your heart fully, fully to God. Some of you might be in here this morning and you're struggling to follow the instructions of the Christian life that God's clearly laid out in his word because you're struggling to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In response to God's mercy, there is only one way to live and that is as a living sacrifice. Because worship is more than just dedicating our lives to the Lord. Listen, he didn't just ask you, hey, can you dedicate your time, talents, and gifts to the Lord? He's asking for your whole life, everything about you. Oswald Chambers would say this, we have the idea that we can dedicate our gifts to God. However, you cannot dedicate what is not yours. 
There is actually only one thing you can dedicate to God, and that is the right to yourself. If you will give God your right to yourself, he will make a holy experiment out of you, and his experiment always succeeds. The one true mark of a saint of God is the inner creativity that flows from being totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. Listen, worship and a living sacrifice isn't just about a routine. Sam Shoemaker would say, to be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus as I know. The mercy of God should not create laziness in you and apathy, it should create passion and fervor. That I'm gonna do whatever I have to do to bring glory and honor to the Lord because of, the, of what I've experienced in his mercy. In my workplace, in my house, when I'm by myself, when I'm at school, when I'm on vacation, whatever it is. Because if Jesus, if what Jesus did for you does not move you or chip away at the hardness of your heart, then you have to ask yourself if you even understand the gospel. Because every believer is called to be a living sacrifice and worship at every moment of your life. And every year that you get older and every year that you follow Jesus, you're to be even more committed to being a living sacrifice. You don't go backwards. You don't get saved and that's the fullness of your commitment and then start backing off. And church, this is why we got to be mindful of practicing spiritual worship by giving ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Number two, practice the renewing of your mind. Verse two says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul begins with a a negative statement, do not conform. Listen, the world wants to control your mind. And if the world controls your mind, then you're a conformer. This verse gives us the outline for breaking the mold of the world. If you practice the instructions, you are going to go against the ways of the world. In fact, by nature, we are, we we like to imitate people. Um, You know, have you ever bought a shirt because somebody else had that shirt and it looked good on them and you wanted it too, right? So there's something there. Have you ever done the same kind of trip that somebody else has done because it looked, right? By nature, we like to imitate people. We were watching football last night and uh, or no, sorry, we were watching Bluey. I got young kids, so we watched Bluey. Sorry, I thought we were watching football. I might have been watching football on my phone while Bluey was on the TV. Either way, it doesn't matter. The, the dogs in Bluey speak in an accent. So my oldest starts speaking in an accent. He's imitating what he sees, right? Where by nature, we imitate what we see. And listen, what Paul's basically saying is this. You're going to conform to something. It can either be the world or it can be God and his will. And here's what we know about the world. Probably the best translation of the word world would be age because age carries with it beliefs, philosophies, and methodologies and strategies. And the world we live in is broken and and it's fallen. Therefore, these methodologies that exist in our world today, they, they have problems with them. So why is this significant? Because when, we ha- when these beliefs and philosophies and methodologies and strategies, when we begin to conform to them, then we begin to practice these things. We begin to create a worldview around these things. And this is why it's important for believers to withstand the pressure to conform morally, intellectually, emotionally, and behaviorally to the enemy's schemes. 
And then there's God's will. And listen, I'll just describe God's will this way, good, pleasing, and perfect. I don't know about you, but good, pleasing, and perfect sounds a lot better than anything the world could offer me. Church, it is not your objective to see how much like the world you can become, yet still hold on to your Christian faith. It is not your objective to see how much like the world you can become and still hold on to your Christian faith. The thing that sets a believer apart is their unwillingness to be conformed to the pattern of this world. If we're honest today, conformity is a common thing for many of us. You might ask, what do you mean? Because there's a lot of good things in this world. And at times, it's hard to tell what we're conforming to. For instance, I can sing to you every word of Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. And I can do that because music has a power to influence the way that I think. What I watch and what I see, I can easily become to conform to. Music and television do this now. Social media does it too. We've gotta be mindful of what we do. And so what do we do with this? Listen, you can't write off culture completely, so you, as believers, have to be able to think critically. I've often said that the problem in our world today is we've forgotten how to think critically. We just take at face value what somebody says in an online article that we read, and we consider that truth. And we've got to be able to think critically about what we're seeing and what we're listening to. There's so much to be enjoyed in these areas, but there's so much to be rejected. Because remember, a polluted mind leads to a polluted life. But a mind filled with the gospel leads to a life dedicated to God in worship. So if we conform to the pattern of this world and we don't heed Paul's instructions, then we will, be, we will have a mind that is polluted by the world. But if we heed his, construction, his instructions and we become transformed by the renewing of our mind every day, then our life will be shaped by the gospel and we will live a life that is dedicated to God in worship. Because transform means this, that God wants to transform your mind and if God controls your mind, then you become a transformer. Would you rather be a transformer or a conformer? Transform has to do with how we are made in the image of Christ. The same word is used in Matthew 17 too when it talks about Jesus as he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. This transformation is more than just outward conformity. It's something that takes place inside. How does it take place? The work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's a gradual thing that takes place. We call this process sanctification. Several months ago, our boys went down to the ditch behind our house when we actually had water in it. They scooped up water and discovered that there were tadpoles in it. So as they scooped up the water, they came running up. You could see the water sloshing out of the little container they had, but they were so excited there were tadpoles, which by the way, parents in the room, tadpoles are great pets. They do not take much work. These tadpoles, we bought a little tank, we put them in there, and over the course of several weeks, we watched the transformation begin to take place in them. We didn't quite see them become frogs because Laura and I killed them when we changed out the water. It was an accident on our behalf. The boys handled it just fine. But every day, those, we would look at those tadpoles in hopes to see signs of a transformation. 
And we couldn't see the transformation every single day, but then there would be a day we would come and we would start to see something that showed that they were transforming. This is what happens in the life of a believer. The gradual transformation that God does when we commit ourselves to renewing our mind every day is that over time, the rest of the watching world will be able to tell if, if Jesus is at work in your life. I may not see it t- today, but tomorrow I might begin to see something that's different. And I may not be able to see it this week, but in two weeks I'll be able to start telling them there's something different that's going on in their life. And what Paul's instructing here is that you are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is to be a sustained transformation that's marked by a distinct change that's visible and ongoing, a repetitive action. And God uses his word to transform his mind. This is my plea for next week. I'm not gonna talk a lot about the word of God and how he uses it to transform us because that's like next week's sermon, okay? But I will say this. A renewed mind is inflamed with the truth of God's word. A renewed mind is having God's word dwell in you And a renewed mind is reorienting ourselves and allowing God's word to be the governing influence of our life. And you may be in this room and you came in and you do not spend a consistent regular time in God's word. And I'm gonna plead with you to say, will you leave this place with the commitment to allow God's word to be at work in your life to renew your mind so that your life can be aligned and that you can be what God wants you to be in worship. And why does this matter? So that you may be able so that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Martin Luther King said this, like anybody else, I would like to have a long life. Longevity has its place, but I am too concerned about that. I'm not too concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. The results of God's will in the life of a believer is that it's lived out in everyday situations. The will of God is his standards, desires, his motives, his values, his practices that he's clearly laid out for us in scripture. And as we renew our mind and we allow his word to be at work in our life, then this is what happens. We begin to spend our hours of our day in our homes, in our campuses, in our workplace, our community, and our hobbies as living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable before God. We're to take what we learn every day in everyday life and subject it to the Lord. And I'll finish with these instructions, these action steps. It's a summary of what we've talked about. Maybe you came in today and the passion for the Lord is waning in your life. Will you just take time this morning to reflect upon God's mercy in your own life? Because when you are struggling with passion for the Lord, when you contemplate upon the mercies of him, it should, in, it should light a fire inside of you that cannot be distinguished. Be a living sacrifice. Some of you came in here and you're about 90% committed, but there's 10% of your life, whatever it is, whether it's your home, it's your job, it's your kids, it's your schoolwork and your academic pursuits, whatever it is, of your life, you're still kind of holding on to and not giving it to the Lord as a full living sacrifice, and today you need to do that. Some of you right now, if you're to be honest with yourself, you found yourself conformed to the pattern of this world, and God today is asking you to be transformed. And some of you in here, you haven't been renewing your mind. And today God's used his word to remind you to set regular times 
in your life to meditate upon him and to meditate upon his word. Would you bow your heads in prayer as we close this time? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I believe everybody in this room falls in a category, in one of three categories salvation, sanctification, or service. And we believe here that every time the word of God is preached, that there's an invitation to respond. So you may be in this room, and today you've heard us talk about how believers are to live in light of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit's revealed to you that you don't have a full understanding of the gospel because you're being controlled by this world. And the Holy Spirit has brought conviction in your life. And you know today you need to repent of your sin and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When we stand and sing in just a minute, if that's you, you can meet me or other staff that may be here at the front. And we'll tell you how to have a saving relationship with Jesus. Or when we leave in just a minute, there's a blue wall over here and you can move over there and talk to one of the people that'll be standing there about how to give your life to Jesus. I'm gonna assume the majority of you in this room fall into the second category, which is sanctification. You're a believer. Your life's been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has used this message to reveal some unconfessed sin in your life that you need to repent of. Some of you are going through the motions and you're not truly living as a daily, as a living sacrifice every day of your life. Some of you are struggling with conforming to the world and you need to ask God to renew your mind this morning. You respond to however the Lord leads. You can sit and pray before we stand and sing. Some of you, your greatest response will be to stand and declare about the mercy of God and and declare that praise. Others may want a staff member to pray with them, and you can come forward, and we'll meet you here to pray. And then finally, if you're here today and you're interested in joining the IBC family because you want to put into practice what God is calling you and asking you to do, you want to serve, and you want to be a part of the ways and the ministries that are happening here, then when we stand and sing, you can move towards the blue wall or after the service, move to the blue wall and find those steps to take. Jesus, I pray, your word being living and active doesn't return void. God, it speaks to our hearts. And I pray that however your word is spoke this morning, You know each person in here and where they are in their walk with you. And I pray that if salvation needs to come to someone, that today they would surrender their life to you. If sanctification and the process of sanctification needs to continue to be worked out in the life of someone in this room, that they would be obedient to what you're asking them to do. Father, I pray that you'd be glorified in the response of your people to your word today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You can stand.